All rise. We now take up the third case on today's docket, Craven versus the State of Florida. Council? didn't he we've seen other cases where people were unequivocally you know the, the council would try to rehabilitate them but the initial statement was something pretty emphatic about if it's premeditated then the person yeah. deserves death in this case it seemed like the juror immediately talked about you know he talked about premeditation gets death but then he said you know if there were things about the person's background or mitigating factors I mean he almost brought that up himself <coughs> right away. I mean, this doesn't strike me as your typical situation where a juror starts off at a certain level and then has to be, you know, brought back by counsel. Yes, yes. But that's why we have challenges. This was not a college challenge. I think the argument was the board had been I think, though, the, rel the, the issue, though, the rel at least for me, the question is reading, reading in context what the trial court here said, it seemed like it was, it was making a genuineness determination in the sense that, you know, you have your facially race-neutral reason that's given. But it seemed to me that I read what the trial court was saying was that the trial court itself, having observed what the juror said in context, that he essentially didn't credit 
he didn't. It wasn't that he was treating it as a de facto cause challenge, but that he essentially didn't credit the reason because the court itself took into consideration what the juror had said and essentially, you know, discounted that. Essentially, implicitly, was saying that it was a pretextual reason that was being given. Uh, okay, uh, I understand what you said. Uh, and in this case, the state did not, uh, did not raise pretext at all. Neither did the trial judge mention that the reason given was There, there was a prior juror, if I remember correctly, who was fairly adamant at first um, that, that premeditation would equate with a de death sentence in her mind, correct? And, and with respect to that juror, she was rehabilitated. And there was a cause challenge that was denied, correct? I thought there was one that said something that indicated there was an that if, if the murder was premeditated, they would tend to vote for death. There was a cause challenge that was denied, and then there was no peremptory exercised with respect to that juror. Am I misremembering the record? I heard you go back. But the state did not argue what you talking about. Counsel, if you, if you set aside our precedent on this and just look at it kind of fresh, why, even if, if we assume that there was an error here, why would this not be subject to harmless error review? Because the 
But in this case, though, the premise is that the juror was not, that, that a cause challenge wouldn't have been warranted. And so what's the prejudice? What's the harm? There's not a constitutional right to peremptories, though, right? Please the court, Michael Kennett for the state of Florida. This is a prison murder committed by an inmate who had served less than one year of a life sentence for a first degree murder he previously committed. There's no question that the appellant is the one who committed this murder. There are multiple confessions. He was the only one who had the opportunity to kill his cellmate and there's DNA blood evidence that confirms he is the killer. Going to the, uh, the, uh, the parentry challenge uh, issue. Uh, the, the juror basically initially said that, that if it's premeditated, it's almost automatic death penalty. I'm, maybe I'm overstating it, but mm -hmm. the gist of what he was saying is that. Is, isn't that, we're not talking about a cost challenge. Uh, the juror could have been rehabilitated and the cost challenge could have been denied. 
right. we're talking about whether the defense counsel had a reasonable uh, fear that this jury <coughs> would not be fair. Uh, isn't that, wasn't that enough for a peremptory challenge? No, it's not. Um, what else? The, the issue, in, with regard to issue two, the real issue of issue two is um, step three of the Melbourne inquiry, and that is the genuineness inquiry uh, that the trial court made based upon the argument of the state. And if you look at what happened in this case, step one of the Melbourne inquiry, the, the state is the opponent of the challenge. The defense is their proponent of the peremptory challenge. The state says, hey, uh, we have a concern here. Uh, we'd like to see a race-neutral reason for this. Juror Ford, the juror in question, is African-American. There are not just racial undertones to this case, but there are significant racial overtones. The defendant said he wanted to commit a race riot. Right? He wanted to kill his African-American cellmate in part to initiate a race riot in prison. Clear racial overtones in this case. So the state satisfies step one of the Melbourne inquiry. We proceed to step two. The burden of production shifts to the defense. The defense says, well, here's our race-neutral reason. He has an inflexible attitude towards the death penalty. That satisfies step two. Now we go to step three. But what's interesting about that response is it caught the court's attention. And when the court says, well, you didn't raise a challenge for cause yesterday, the court wasn't conflating challenges for cause with peremptory challenges. Let's go back. You said he, that the defense said that the juror had an inflexible attitude toward the death penalty. I, I paraphrase Justice Kennedy. Well, that is a paraphrase because what he said, he was the, what, the, what, the, what counsel actually said, um, he was one of those who, though rehabilitated to say he could consider life or death, he was one of those whose original impulse was if it was found to be premeditated, then it would be the death penalty, and that's my concern with him. Isn't that statement by counsel a statement that is absolutely supported by the record? No, because it is not factually accurate. And that is what- How, how is it inaccurate? It's, it's too strong of a characterization of Justice Ford's initial response. And the prosecutor pointed out the differences between Juror Ford and Juror Glisson, and they were back-to-back -back jurors. Juror Glisson did display- well, an, an, But Juror Ford said, well, if it's deserved, for instance, if he had premeditated, just did it, yes, the death penalty. I'm, I'm struggling to see how what counsel said about that is not accurate. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we, I'm reading it here. I mean, right. we, we have the benefit of a transcript. We, we, we do. And so let's, that initial response, though, is two sentences. It's not just one sentence. Right? He, he didn't, Juror Ford didn't just say, if it's premeditated, then death. Right? He also talked about mitigation when he talked about influence. But if we pick apart the first sentence, Chief Justice Kennedy, he didn't just say premeditated. He actually, for someone who has no legal experience, Juror Ford gave a pretty good, accurate definition of the law in Florida. He says, well, if, right, that word if, it's conditional. If it is deserved. What he's essentially saying, that in his mind, death is not well, automatic. Well, he says if it is deserved, for instance. Right. If he the, had premeditated, just did it, yes, the death penalty. Right. Okay, for, for saying it, so he's giving premeditated, just did it, as an example of, of what is, if, if, if it's deserved. I think that that's the only fair way you can read that. Right, he's saying, he's saying CCP. Because if you look at, he didn't just say premeditated, he said just did it. For, for someone with no legal experience, that's a pretty good layman's definition for cold. 
It's unprovoked. He just did it very coldly, very calmly. So what, what Juror Ford is saying is if right, the default is not death, he's essentially saying the default is life, it has to be deserved, for example, if there is CCP. That is a very good layman's definition. Well, I don't know. I mean, you're equating uh, cold, calculated, premeditated with, uh, uh, with just did it. Uh, <laughs> that seems to me to be a bit of a stretch. But if we look at the definition of, of cold, calculated, premeditated, it, it's not a stretch. It, it's an unprovoked murder. It's done coldly, calmly, without any resistance from the victim. Just did it. Again, he did well, you know, it. When I, when I read this, um, I, I just wonder uh, if the court, the, the trial court, was confusing a peremptory challenge with a for cause challenge. Because it's, and the court even says, well, um, what would give you pause today that wasn't there yesterday? As though there's a suggestion there that if a, if a for a cause challenge is not made, then somehow it's inappropriate to have a peremptory challenge or that somehow there's something sinister or pretextual um, about uh, a peremptory challenge if there's not been a for cause challenge. Is that what the law is? No, but again, it is part of the totality of the circumstances that goes into step three, which is a trial court making an analysis of whether or not the proffered reason is genuine or not. And to, to go to a point that Justice Lawson made. Where, where do we, uh, what in, the, in anything that the trial court said, do we actually see any indication that the trial court was focused on genuineness? Well, no magic words are required. Hayes clearly says that. But he refers to his notes, and he says, you know, my notes don't support what you just said. Which, let's draw a contrast to another juror, and, and perhaps, Justice Lawson, you were referring to Juror Sims. Um, in, in the state's brief, the state mentions Juror Glisson, Juror Ford does not mention Juror Sims, but um, page 433 of the record. Right? Juror Sims, first answer, I'm a firm believer in the death penalty. That was his expression. There are two juror Sims, a Mr. Sims and a Miss Sims. I'm referring to the Mr. Sims, juror 35. His first answer, I'm a firm believer in the death penalty. He's asked by defense about that firm believer in the death penalty remark. And he's asked, does that mean it's automatic? And he says no. Now, the defense did file a challenge for cause as to juror Sims, which the trial court denied because the juror had been rehabilitated. And what the court does he refers to his notes. He says, my, this is on page 457 of the record. My notes reflect that while he did initially say a firm believer in the death penalty, he did in fact say not automatic, and that was he was not dissuaded from both of those positions despite counsel's questioning. So I'll deny the challenge for cause as to Sims. Now, it's interesting to note that while a challenge for cause was lodged against Sims the previous day, there was no peremptory. Now, we don't know clearly what the race racial background is of juror Sims, but that goes to the trial court's concern about is that answer that you just gave me really genuine because you did lodge a challenge for cause for Sims, but there's no peremptory today, and if I take you at face value, why didn't you do the same thing? If you're really concerned about this particular juror, juror Ford, having an inflexible attitude towards death penalty, why didn't you challenge him yesterday like you did juror Sims? And that goes to, again, the trial court's genuineness determination, his credibility determination, and we should defer to that because the trial court was the, was the one who was there throughout the entire water proceedings, 
He was the one who was able to watch the demeanor, not just of the potential jurors, but of counsel as well. And we should defer to that determination. There's no indication that his decision was clearly erroneous. Could you address the harmless error issue? I understand what our precedent is, but just taking it kind of, uh, taking a fresh look at it. You raise an excellent point, because as to the appellant, there is no constitutional violation here. Potentially, there could be a constitutional violation involving a peremptory challenge, but not in this case. If, but, but there can be harmful error that is not a constitutional violation. Yes. Correct? Correct, but there's no evidence that this juror was biased for or against. Well, okay, Are you, so you're saying we basically ought to treat, the, at the trial level, we ought to treat it the, the way we do on post-conviction. There's some value in that, because what's, why overturn a conviction where there is overwhelming evidence of appellant's guilt? There's no question that the appellant committed this offense. He conceded guilt as to second-degree murder during his opening statements. The whole issue was mental state and mitigation. But we have four very powerful aggravators in this case. He has a, uh, he's serving a life sentence when he commits the murder. We have a prior capital felony, the other murder, HAC and CCP. The HAC is horrendous in this case. The victim was attacked when he was asleep. He was at least a dozen stab wounds to the upper body with another 18 superficial wounds. He, he choked and drowned in his own blood, plus he had blood coming out of his jugular vein. An inmate two cells down heard him crying for help. There's clear HAC, there's clear CCP. He planned this murder out. He called his mom and said, you gotta come visit me this Saturday, because if you don't, it's gonna be several years. What, what about what counsel said, that all it takes is one juror to require a life sentence? It's too speculative. We look at, if you look at what the standard is, the standard is what would a rational jury do? Right? And if the evidence is overwhelming, what would a rational juror do in this case? Convict and sentence to death. That is the standard. It should be the standard. It's a federal standard. What is a rational juror going to do? Well, but I mean, and fundamentally, I mean, we start from the premise that this isn't a biased juror. Right. I, you know, right. I mean, one biased juror would be a problem, but in this case, we're talking about a juror who, by definition, because the cause issue has been taken off the table, there's no, there's no bias issue. Correct, and there's no constitutional violation in this case as to the defendant. There could be, in, in, a, in some cases with the peremptory challenge, there could be a constitutional implication. If, um, if, for example, the defendant is a member of a minority and the state is attempting to peremptory challenge a member of a minority, the same minority, and that would be the only person on the jury pool, and it was for a pretextual reason. Yes, there could be a constitutional implication for that defendant, but there's no constitutional implication for this defendant in this case. So w again, what's the harm? What is the harm in this case? There is no harm. Because a ra any rational juror would have found this particular defendant guilty and would have sentenced him to death. It's a gruesome murder. There are no questions about any of the aggravators. And again, back to your point about what is the remedy? There should be some harm in this case. And there's not. Because there's no harm, there should be no overturning the conviction in the sentence. And back to your point, I, th I think, Chief Justice Kennedy, that the trial court did not conflate peremptory challenges with challenges for cause. He was probing the genuineness of the answer given by the defense. Um, 
But there are any other questions about any other issues that are raised in this case? There are several issues raised. Um, I briefly touched on sufficiency, HAC, CCP. Proportionality is not an issue in this case. We can discuss proportionality. Um, there are also issues raised regarding um, the competency to proceed pro se, um, whether the evidence of the prior felony murder was, was uh, relevant during sentencing. It was. It's part of the juror's function. How can the juror weigh aggravations and aggravators versus mitigators if it can't know the facts surrounding a prior murder? The state asks this court affirm both the judgment of conviction and sentence in this case. There really is no harm. There is no constitutional violation. There's no basis for reversal.
John. We were asking court to reverse them for new trial. Any questions? Thank you. We thank you for your arguments.